All right. Awesome. Take your Bibles, please. Turn to the Gospel according to John. The Gospel of John, chapter 10. We're going to be looking there in just a minute. Hope you paid very close attention to the words we just sang. We'll look at them again. Uh, In the Scripture, rearranged a little bit, but the same thing in just a few minutes. We're in the middle of a series. If you're a first-time guest today or if you hadn't been in a couple weeks, we're doing a series called Your Questions, His Answers. And uh, we've been talking about some different things for a couple of weeks. Today, we're going to deal with another seemingly difficult and perhaps maybe even a bit controversial subject, um, that of eternal security. And uh, we sang, your love goes on and on and on and on and on it goes. And it'll never go away. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. Last week, if you were with us, we discovered that Jesus Christ and He alone is the way, the truth, and the life that no one comes to the Father except through Him. Jesus is the one and only way to be saved. And the question today is, can someone who is saved, if they're genuinely saved and born again through faith in Christ, can they lose their salvation? If someone is saved as a child, are they saved forever, even if they turn away or if they uh, seemingly fall away later in life? And is it possible for someone who sins against God, to lose salvation uh, that God freely gives through faith in Christ. So that's the question of the day. That's the question many people have. Can you really be saved forever? You might be saying, well, Pastor Mike, I know someone who used to be a church-going, God-fearing man or church-going, God-fearing woman, and he or she has gone off the deep end, and um, I just don't believe that they're saved anymore. In fact, about every one of us, probably knows someone who at first appearance, you say, well, they were saved, and now it just looks like they're not. And the question is, did they really lose their salvation, or were they never even really saved in the first place? Well, I hope to answer that question for you in a little bit. And then there's another question that comes up when you talk about security. If If you really believe in once saved, always saved, then I can do whatever I want and get away with it, or you can do, or they can do whatever they want and get away with it, and God has to forgive them. So preacher, how do you reconcile that? Well, let me just tell you, if one's been truly saved, then are they, um, and they're born into the family of God, when they do whatever they want to do, they're going to incur the chastening or the discipline of God. I don't know how it worked when you was growing up, but when I was growing up, we didn't have the privilege being part of the Phillips family. You couldn't just do whatever you wanted to do. Uh, when you did whatever you wanted to do without respect for authority, something happened. Doesn't happen a lot anymore, but it used to happen. Is uh, you know, I could tell you some stories, but my mother actually happens to be here. She was in the early service, and so I didn't say anything because. She don't, uh, I brought it up before in her presence and she wanted me to not say that, so I won't do that. But we got disciplined. I hope you discipline your kids. Uh, there's nothing wrong with spanking. As a matter of fact, there's a few things that kids can only learn through the seat of their pants. And if you don't spank them, they're not going to get it. And I marvel, this is, has nothing to do with the sermon, but I marvel sometimes uh, to be in public places uh, or when people even bring their kids into the office uh, I marvel that kids really need to be spanked, and uh, they're just asking for it. And so I'll tell you, Mom and Dad, if your kids ask you for spanking, if you love them, you ought to give it to them. 
I mean, you ought to do it. They need it. They want it. They ask for it. Uh, you ought to love them. Because the Bible says, uh, we laugh about that, but the Bible says in Hebrews 12, those the Lord loves, He what? He chastens them and disciplines them because they need direction and correction in order to be and become everything that God wants them to be. So don't, don't, don't get afraid. Don't get afraid of eternal security. Some people are afraid of once saved, always saved. Because they say, well, you know, then believers can do whatever they want. I can't. God knows by the Holy Spirit of God, He knows how to chasten me and correct me and discipline me. And if you're born into His family, He will discipline you and correct you and chasten you because He loves you. And so don't fear eternal security that it might be a license for the believer to do as he pleases. Uh, Even though some kids get to do that at their house, you don't get to do that in God's family because he's going to correct you, discipline you, and love you. So that brings us all back to this one question. Can a genuine believer lose his salvation? And the answer is no. You may want to ask it this way. Are they secure in Christ forever? Well, the Lord Jesus spoke to that subject in a number of places, but one of the best ones is in John chapter 10. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to honor the Lord's word as we read John chapter 10. I'm going to pick up, uh, it's not going to come up on your screen, but I'm going to start in verse 25. Jesus is talking to a group of uh, unbelieving Jews, and he answered, verse 25 says, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Now listen to this. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Father, thank you for blessing the reading of your word. I pray that you'd speak a word of encouragement, a word of hope and assurance into our hearts. And Father, for the man or woman, the young person... The child here this morning that has yet to come to know Jesus, my prayer is today that they realize that when they give their life to Christ, they can be saved and know it for eternity. What a hope that can be. So God bless your word is our prayer, and we'll honor you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for joining me in honoring the Lord's word as we read it together. I do want to talk about that subject, but let me just ask you this question. Does it really matter if we're eternally secure? I mean, as long as if you just live the way you ought to live and do what you ought to do, does it matter? Doctrinally speaking, is there any real significance in knowing that I'm forever saved? And the answer is an unequivocally yes. I'm going to to share with you several reasons. But the reason it's so important to know that we're secure is, is if... Eternal security is is not a reality. If somehow I could lose my salvation, how would I ever know when I lost it? How, I mean, is there a list of sins that says if you commit these three, you lose it, or if you commit this many sins? And so, uh, so it's important that we know. But let me give you some reasons. Number one, the uh, first reason I guess we would just say assurance. Uh, we need to be able to have the peace of God. Now, the Bible says when, when a man is in Christ, there is therefore, Romans 8, 1 says, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when you give your life to Christ, and we see that in many other places, Romans chapter 5, the first two or three verses uh, additionally. But in many places, the Bible tells us when we come to Jesus Christ, 
we have uh, peace with God. There's no, therefore no condemnation. So relationally, we have peace with God. In other words, we who are separated, who are far away, have been reconciled together, and therefore we have peace with God. But if you don't have assurance, you may not experience the peace of God. And the peace of God is what allows you to lay down your head on the pillow at night and go to sleep knowing that no matter when, no matter where, no matter what, I'm secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's important for assurance. But I would say, secondly, it's important for forgiveness because uh, we need to know that our sins are forgiven. Because if there's somehow, you know, if I'm saved but I can lose it, how many sins does it take to lose it? Now, some people would say, well, pastor, you know, God, when you get saved, God forgives all the sins that you committed up to that point. But then you're going to commit some more sins. Well, can I just ask you, dear friend, this question? When Jesus hung on the cross and died for your sins, how many sins had you committed at that point? Zero. So when he died for your sins, he looked out into the future and he saw them all. He saw the ones you did before you got saved. He saw the ones you did after you got saved. And so when he died on the cross, he didn't... uh, 1 John 2 tells us, that he didn't die for my sins or your sins alone, but he died for the sins of the whole world. He is an, our advocate with the Father. And so, in order for forgiveness, it's important for you to know, so you can know that I'm for, even if I mess up, even if I make a mistake, I'm going to be forgiven and I'm going to be safe in the family of God. Else, how, how could we ever be comfort, comfortable or confident if we had to live in this danger of if I mess up too bad, I'm going to be put out of the family? Can you imagine that? I mean, imagine if you were a child in the family and, and you went through your day and you thought, boy, I was a good boy today. Man, when I go to sleep tonight, I'll be in the family tomorrow. But imagine what would happen if you were a little boy or a little girl and you were growing up and you did something really really bad and you went to sleep wondering, oh, my stars, are they going to kick me out of the family for messing up? Now, you say that's silly. We'd never kick anyone out of the family for messing up. Now, we might discipline them, probably should discipline them, but we're not going to disown them because they're part of our family. But to think that our Father in heaven, who knew us before the foundation of the world, who, when Jesus died on the cross, knew exactly what was going on with us, to think that he would say, I'll save you, but I'm not going to keep you. You've got to keep yourself. How can we have any comfort and confidence in that? And so it's important that we understand this issue of security. But might I also say that it gives us focus. If, if I spend all my time as a believer, if you spend all your time or at least some of your time or any of your time focused on, worried about, well, am I going to go to heaven? How in the world, my stars, how can we be focused on the here and now if we're worried about the there and then? See, God wants to settle the there and then so he can use this and work in our life right here and now, making a difference in the lives of people. I mean, think about this. If, we, if we're not focused... How could we ever do evangelism? I mean, how could you in in confidence, how could I in confidence sit down with someone and take the Word of God, the precious Word of God, and open the Word and talk to them about their soul and talk to them about how to be saved? How could we ever do that confidently if we're not sure that God's taking care of us? And so it's important. I say all that to tell you. It's very important that you understand this matter of security. So let's look at what the Lord Jesus said. What did he mean? What did he say there in our text? And I want to share with you four thoughts uh, about 
how you can know that you're secure. Let me tell you, number one, it doesn't seem to make sense, but it's, first of all, we need to look at the process of eternal salvation. Before you can be secure, you got to be saved. Before you can be secure, you got to be saved. But what is the process of eternal salvation? Well, notice what the Lord said there in verse 27. The Lord Jesus said, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Now, it's interesting that Jesus chose the analogy of a shepherd. Uh, here in Central Texas, I guess we see a lot of goats and a few sheep, so we can identify with that. But, you know, most folk don't know a lot about the sheep and the shepherd. But in the ancient days... That was a very, even though shepherds were kind of the drugs of society, they were the outcasts, they were the people nobody wanted to affiliate with, everybody knew about sheep and shepherding. Do you know why? Because to the Jewish uh, person, the sacrificial system involved sheep, and so they knew and understood. Remember, King David was a what? He was a shepherd boy. And he spent night after night after night out with the shepherds. And because that was true, what would happen with the shepherd is he would have this comfort level, this confidence with the sheep. And whenever the shepherd would speak, the sheep would recognize his voice. They would know. Even a dumb old sheep would know, that's my shepherd talking. And here's the thing. When they heard his voice, it demanded a response. And so Jesus, listen to what Jesus said. Jesus says, my sheep, those I've called, They hear my voice, and look what happens. He says, I know them, and then notice what it says there. He says, they follow after me. Now, listen to this carefully. When when God calls a man or a woman or a boy or girl to salvation, God calls, and when you hear his voice, it demands a response. So the process of being eternally saved is to hear the voice of God calling you in responding to that voice. And you say, well, what, what's God going to say? Well, the Bible says that uh, the Word of God teaches that when God calls us to salvation, God calls us to repent of our sin and to place our faith in Jesus. matter of fact, in Acts chapter 20, Paul's talking about this in preaching. Acts 20, listen to verse uh, 21, how the Apostle Paul says that. He says, I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're going to be eternally secure, you've got to be eternally saved. And if you're going to be eternally saved, you have to come to God in repentance or turning from your way and turn to God and place your faith in Jesus Christ. There's got to be a point. I had a conversation this week with a gentleman. He, actually, he and his wife came this morning at first service, and they publicly... Uh, confess Christ. He's going to be baptized in a couple of weeks. But we had a conversation and we were talking. And he said, well, you know, Brother Mike, I, I grew up in church and I was confirmed here and I went to class here and I did all this thing there. And we talked along and talked along and talked along. And I said, you know, uh, the Bible teaches, though, there's got to be a point where we cross over from unbelief to belief, or might we say from head knowledge, intellectual knowledge about Jesus to Saving faith in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus called it being born again. See, you can't always... Some people say, well, you know, I've just been in church my whole life. I've always been a Christian. You've not always been a Christian unless your name's Christian. Now, if they named you Christian when you was a baby, you've always been a Christian. But if you're not named Christian, you've not always been a Christian. 
Jesus said you have to be born into the family. You have to be born again. And so he said, my sheep, they hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Now, what does that mean? They obey what I've called them to. Can I ask you this morning? Have you crossed over that line of unbelief to belief? From intellectual faith to heart faith. Have you been born again by faith in Jesus Christ? See, if you you got to be eternally saved. That's the process. But not only, uh, so it begins with being eternally saved. But let's notice, secondly, go back to John chapter 10. Look at verse 28. So, listen to how Jesus says that. He says, my sheep, they listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Now watch this statement. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. How many of you ever had a birthday? Anybody ever been given a gift? Anybody? This is not a rhetorical question. I'm looking for answers. How many of you? Sure you have. You've been given a gift. I've been given a gift. Now, can I ask you this? When you get paid next week or at the end of the month or in the middle of the month, uh, is that a gift or is that something you work for? No, it's something you work for, isn't it? You, You work hard and you get paid. But the Bible says that eternal life's not something you work for. Jesus said we hear his voice, we believe what he says, and he gives us eternal life. It is a gift. It's something he gives to us free. I've, you know, uh, until I, I was going to say I've never paid for my birthday present, but when you're an adult, you kind of do, right? But when you're a kid, you don't pay. It's just a gift, and it is free. Now, in order to, to possess it, what do you have to do? You have to accept it. Somebody wants to give you a gift. Uh, we went to the football game yesterday, and I was trying to pay my brother for the, for the Florida A&M ticket. He said, man, we won. You don't have to pay. It was a gift. And uh, so, so he, he, he gave me. I had to accept it. And after we took a whoop, and I was fine with accepting it. I sure didn't want to pay money for that. But that's what a gift is. And the Bible says that Jesus gives us. He gives us eternal life. So that's a promise. He promised. There's the process of being saved, but then there's the promise of eternal security. He says, I give them eternal life. And uh, before we even get to the promise, let's talk about that word eternal. What, uh, what does the word eternal mean? What's that word mean? What's eternal? It's forever, isn't it? Anybody, uh, anybody got term life insurance? I got some about a few years ago, you know, we had our, you know, you kind of get into that thing and you, you meet with the planner and they, you got a few kids and you're thinking you got a mortgage and you got a car payment and they're thinking, you know, you need to be ready if something were to happen to you. I mean, none of us want anything to happen, but if something were to happen to you, you need some insurance. And so uh, Lisa had a friend and her husband was a planner. So we sat down and we talked about, and as we worked through that thing, we got to the point, I realized that I needed some insurance. So I bought some term life. Now, if you don't know how that works, here's how it works. You pay so much a month, and if something happens to you during that term, then it pays out. But at the end of 20 years, you stop paying because it's a term life. It has a term, and it ends. Now, Jesus didn't say, I give them term life. He says, I give you eternal life. Now, if, if he gave it to you and then said, well, you wasn't a good enough boy or you wasn't a good enough girl, I'm going to take it back, it wouldn't be eternal life. 
it'd be term life, right? I mean, if you could, if you could lose it after five or six years and you took it back, you'd have, Jesus would give you six year life. But that's not what it says. It says, I give them eternal life. As a matter of fact, turn back to John chapter 5. Listen to verse 24. Same kind of principle. But listen to what he says there, verse 24. He says, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Friend, I want to tell you. We're secure because when Jesus gives it to you, it's forever. And he ain't no Indian giver. I know that's not politically correct, but he's not. He doesn't give it over there and say, now be a good boy, Mike. If you'll be a good boy, you can be saved forever. No, no, no. Adrian Rogers, Dr. Rogers, one of my heroes, he gave such a great illustration. He said, if you believe that God saves you and then you got to work to keep it, he he said, be like, be like making a, be like God made a down payment for you on a car. God makes a down payment, but you got to pay all the installments. And if you make all the installments, then when you get the end of your life, you could have what you have. That's not what the scripture teaches. The Bible says, I give them eternal life. Now look at the next phrase in chapter 10 verse 28. Look at the next phrase. What does he say? I give them eternal life and they shall what? Never perish. Now I'm an Aggie but never means never. Okay? It just never's never. It's never. It's never. They shall never perish. Now Jesus, now this is not the only place it says that. We just read a verse. Take your Bibles. Turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 8. Take out a pen or a pencil if you got one. Romans chapter 8. Look with me. We're going to skip over 28, 29, and 30. Those are good to read because he talks about uh, predestining us to glorification and sanctification, all that good stuff. But look all the way down to verse 37. It says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now listen to this statement. For I am convinced. You might just want to underline that word. It means to be absolutely certain. To be sure, Paul says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ten different things there. Paul Paul identifies ten areas. He says, he's, he's going to point out ten things here that says, I'm confident, I'm absolutely certain that none of these can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You say, well, now, he's talking about the love of God. Is that the same as eternal security? Absolutely. Romans 5 eight says, God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But look at here. He says, now just, let's unpack this for just a minute. He says, I'm convinced that neither death, you can't die. Death's not going to take away your security. And then he says, Life, life's not going to take away your security. And then look on. Let's read on. He says, neither angels nor demons. He says, the angels can't take it away. The demons can't take it away. Uh, Satan's an angel. Can Satan take away your security? Absolutely not. If he could, he would. But he can't, so he won't. He can't do it. Paul said, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us. Now, then he says, neither the present, nothing in the present nor the future, 
Isn't that good news to know that nothing can happen today, nothing can happen out there then that can separate us from the love of Christ, nor any power. There's no power. Now, some people say, yeah, but if you decide you don't want to be saved anymore, uh, you, you can just not be saved anymore. No, 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 no. Jesus said nobody can snatch him out of my hand. Listen, I, your kids, if, if you spank them, they might decide they don't want to be in your family. Could you imagine your child saying, well, I just don't want to be in the family anymore? Now, we laugh about that, but you, you've known people. Kids have grown up, got mad at mom and dad, run away at 16, 17, 18 years old, moved to the other side of the world, disowned, dishonored the family. Can I tell you something? They're still a child of the same mom and daddy, even if they walk away. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Then he says, neither height, nothing in heaven, neither depth, nothing in hell. Now, if he didn't cover everything, look what he says nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's good preaching right there. I'd say amen if I was you. Isn't that good stuff to know that God says, listen, there's nothing. I've made a promise. There's nothing in all of creation. Hell has nothing. Heaven has nothing. The world has nothing that can separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus. Jesus made a promise. Now that might not be enough for you. If it's not, turn on over to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. Great chapter there. Some really good stuff in 19 and following. But look with me at at verse 14. Uh, The author here is writing to a bunch of Jewish believers. And uh, they were struggling with maturity. And they were struggling with the sacrificial system and different things. But listen to what he says, verse 14. He says, because by one sacrifice... He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy by one sacrifice. What might that be? The death of Jesus Christ on the cross. You read through Hebrews, you'll see. Jesus died once for all. He entered the, not, not the earthly tabernacle. The, the author says he entered the most holy place once for all and offered precious blood for your sins and my sins that we might be made perfect for how long? How long does it say? Forever. That we might be made perfect forever. Those who are being uh, made holy. You, if you have the English standard, it says those who are being sanctified. Here's what it means. God is at work in your life. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, His sacrificial death on the cross covers your sin forever and forever and forever. That's the promise. The promise of eternal security. But there's more in our passage. It's not just the, the process of being eternally saved and the promise of, of being eternally secure. But I want you to notice third at the power of our security. If you're back in John 10, listen to the middle of verse 27. He says, they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. And then he says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. And then he makes this statement. I and the Father are one. And the interesting thing, if you do a grammatical study and the, 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 uh, the gender of the words and all, it's talking about the essence. Jesus said, I and the Father are the same essence. Nobody can snatch you out of my hands and nobody's even able to snatch you out of his hands. We got you. We ain't never going to let you go. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. He will never, ever let us go. 
Now turn back to John chapter 6. An interesting uh, little take there. Listen to verse 29 and 30. I think that's right. John chapter 6. Uh, no, 39. Excuse me. Thank you, Dan, for helping me out. Listen to verse 39. It says, This is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. Now, did you see that? This is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will, listen to this, my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, not term life, eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Did you know, did you know that Jesus always does the will of God? He always does the will of God. You study the scriptures. And remember John chapter 4, remember the story of the woman at the well, Jesus comes and the disciples go in to get food and he tells the story of the woman at the well and he gives her eternal life and she comes to Christ and then she goes away in the city and the disciples come back and they're like, man, he's probably hungry. And they said, hey, Jesus, do you want something to eat? And here's what he says. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus lives to do God's will. And his will is that not any should perish. If someone were ever to be saved and then to be lost, then Jesus wouldn't do the will of God. If someone were to ever to be saved and then to be lost, Jesus would not be who he says he was. Dr. Rogers had a great point. He said, have you ever, have you ever seen in Scripture anybody get saved twice? Is there any in Scripture? No, because when you get saved, you're saved. God has the power to save you, and God has the power to keep you, and he's promised that he'll do it. You're secure in Jesus. That's the power of the gospel. I'll tell you, I wish we, if we had time, in fact, let's go quickly to 1 Peter chapter 3. Just want you to uh, make a note of it in your Bible there. Uh, we don't have a whole lot of time, but let's look at one quick thing, 1 Peter 1, let's Let's look at verse 3. Uh, it's important because Jesus talked about being born again. I want you to see the consistency of the Scripture. Verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, listen to this, He has given us new birth into a living hope. That means you've got to be born into the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. It's got to have a starting point. There's got to be a time where you cross over from death unto life, from unbelief to belief. There's got to be a point. But he says, Praise be the God and Father, and His great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now listen to this. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. There's that word again. Never perish. Now watch this. Kept in heaven for you who through faith who through faith, not through being a good boy. Now, we ought to be a good boy or a good girl. We, we ought to be faithful to Jesus. But we're kept, it's kept in heaven by faith, not by works. We're not saved by works. We're not kept by works. Kept by faith. Now, watch this. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Friend, I want to tell you on the authority of the Word of God, when you're eternally saved, you're eternally secure because of the promise of God, but also because of 
the power of God. And then just real quickly, one other thought I, I want to give you. Uh, there's a picture of eternal security. As you're working your way back over there, look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. You'll want to make a note of this in your, in your Bible there. Uh, Ephesians 1. Listen to, uh, listen to verse 5. Chapter 1. Well, let's, the last two words of verse 4 say, In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. If you have the English standard version, it says, according to the kind intention of his will. But notice what it says there. We're predestined to be adopted. Now, let me just tell you, the picture of security is adoption. Now, I know I've been talking about being born again, but Paul gives us another picture. He gives us the term adoption. And here's what's really interesting about that. I'd heard this before. I was reading it in the commentary again this week. Um, uh, but when you think about adoption, uh, nobody adopts a kid they don't want. Now, we've heard the term, you've heard the term unwanted, unwanted pregnancy. That's kind of a fashionable term today. There's no such thing as an unwanted adoption. Because when, when a family chooses to adopt, they choose purposefully to adopt. And Charles Stanley accurately noted that when God chose you and me and did a work in our life, he adopted us into the family. And that means it was his choice. He knew all the risks. He knew all the reward. He knew all the stuff. But he, anyway, he adopted us into the family. But it really doesn't stop there. I believe the reason Paul put that in the, in the text there is in the Roman culture, if you were a natural father, you could disown your son or your daughter. In fact, uh, they, had the, they could even, when their babies were born, if they didn't want them, they could throw them out and, and literally kill them. I can I read you some letters out of a commentary. Because they were naturally born, they could do whatever they want with them. But here's the thing. Bob Utley said this is his commentary. If you adopted a child, you had to keep it forever. You couldn't disown it. Your natural kids you could disown, but not the adopted child. And so here's what God's saying. When you give your life to Jesus, he adopts you into his family, and he keeps you forever. He'll never, ever throw you out. Now the question is, have you, have you crossed over the line to faith in Jesus? See, the Bible says, my sheep hear his voice, or hear my voice, and they follow me. They obey me. My friend this week, been church going all his life, but until Thursday afternoon, he never crossed over from unbelief to belief. He was religious. He knew about God, but he had never surrendered his life to Jesus. So my question for you, have you been born again into the family of God? Have you given your life to Jesus? It's yes or no. I'm not asking, are you a Baptist, a Methodist, Pentecostal, Catholic? No, that's not the question. Have you given your life to Jesus? Because if you're eternally saved, you're eternally secure. Let's bow together.
Heads are bowed all over the auditorium. Nobody moving. Just sit still for a moment. Let me ask you personally. Has there been a time when you're born again? You, could, you, you may not can point to the hour. You may not can point to the day. But can you look back and say, here's when I crossed over from death to life. Here's when I turned away from my sin and put my trust in Jesus. Can you point to that time? Can you remember back and say, that's when it happened? Because if you can't, friend, let me just ask you, would you be willing today? Would you be willing right now this morning by a prayer of faith to open your heart to Jesus? Would you be willing today to give your life to Christ? For some of you, he's speaking in your heart. You know what I'm talking about. He's calling to be saved. Will you give your life to him today? If you'd say, yes, pastor, I want to give my life to him today. Would you tell him this prayer? Tell him this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you died for my sin. I hear your voice. Lord Jesus, today I open my heart. I invite you to come in. I turn from my sin. I turn my life over to you. Come live in my heart and save me, Lord Jesus. Come save me, Lord Jesus. Is my prayer. Friend, on the authority of God's word, whosoever will can call upon the name of the Lord and they will be saved. If if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says you can be saved. And if you're eternally saved, you're eternally saved secure forever oh I want that for you I hope that's true for you and I hope this morning that you'll surrender your life completely and totally to Jesus for he's worthy Father I pray that you'd have your way in every person's life and in every person's heart Lord, I know in the auditorium there's some boys and girls, some young people, some adults that have never been saved. God, I pray that today they'd pray that prayer of surrender. God, there's others in the auditorium, they've just, they've never been secure. Lord, I pray that they'd stand on the authority of your word and the promise of Jesus. And they'd walk out of here today trusting you. God, have your will in your way in every person's heart. And we'll glorify you and give you the honor for it all. And ask it in Jesus' name.